Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from married and in love parents, church leaders, and business professionals, Delmas and Sarah Gibson, as they have a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, this couple shares a story of God's restoration power as he transformed their broken and toxic relationship into one that is God-honoring and Christ-focused. You'll hear personal testimonies of surrender, forgiveness, and healing from alcoholism. Their story is a reminder of how, even in the darkest moments of life and when all seems like it will be lost, God sees you and can change your life. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Sarah and Dee, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's so, so fun to have you guys. And thank you for sitting down with me so we can chat all about marriage and love and hear your story. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yes, so thank we're you. excited too. We love to share so our story. This, yes. Yes. And this episode's very unique for me because one, I am the podcast host, but two, I am your cousin. So you, you guys are family. Um, Sarah, we are related by our moms being sisters. And so you have been more of a big sister to me my whole life than a cousin. Um, and Dee, I was trying to think about this when you entered the the family picture. I could, Sarah, how long has it been? Well, we've been together for thirteen, going on fourteen years. Okay. Yeah, so, so long. Time. I will give away my age, but I saw you graduate high school. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> yes, you guys, I you sat through one of the hottest days. We're mm-hmm. all dying. It was so yeah. the sun was, was beating a, on us. <laughs> it was a huge class too. It was a big graduating. Class. We were like, can we get to the end? There yeah. was six hundred and ninety nine students. Yeah, so you powered class. through. Yeah. <laughs> but it has been. I mean, I just I love you both so much, and. I was excited to have you on and really looking forward to this one because not only do I get to hear your story now, but I got to live through it. And I think that brings a whole different perspective and, and to see, um, I don't want to give anything away, but just to see the trial, to see the fight, to see the grit, to see the love, the restoration, everything, all the words, to see it firsthand um, just means so much to me and gives me a lot of hope, honestly, in life when I see other people battling things and struggling. So I'm excited to just share your story with the world today, whoever is listening to, to give them little glimmers of that too. So why don't you just start us off and just introduce yourselves, um, what you're doing in life these days. I know you guys are very active in your church and in ministry and with families. So why don't you just start us out there? Uh, well, I'm Delmas Gibson, um, husband, uh, father, child of God, I guess, not, I guess, but you know, it's so much there. Um, you know, I, we've been married for five and a half years together for 13 years. And right now I'm just in a season of life where I'm just living day by day, literally, but at the same time, um, just, I'm full of such gratitude, you know, to be with my family, to, um, you know, to spend time with my kids and 
even my work life, you know, I work as a, an account manager and I'm just I'm enjoying my work, you know, that I do. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, at being active in the church, you know, we are both very active in church and it's just been a joy. Uh, it's a pleasure to just be part of a, a local community and to just grow in the things of God. And so I guess if you sum all of that up, that's who I am. I'm just, I'm here and I just want to influence people in my inner circle and just learn and just be excited. I want to wake up every day excited about what does God have today to do. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously Sarah and I, I guess I would, to follow your lines here, um, wife, mother of two. We have an 18 year old graduating from high school this year, which is still blowing my mind. She Mm -hmm. was three going on four when we first met. It's insane to just think about, you know, how much of an impact she's had on our life, both of us um, and just me. But, um, and then the seven-year-old, so, you know, he keeps us extremely busy. (laughs) Um, you know, you mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned church. It's definitely a cornerstone in our life. It's a place that we've built a family instead of just being brought up into a family. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's definitely created a more wonderful and peaceful life. If I can put it that way. Um, so yeah. I work outside of the home. I work at a private Christian school that's local to us and loving it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I really think, you know, you downplayed a little bit how active you are in church because it's a big church. And every time I go to visit, I can't walk like five feet without someone stopping D to talk to him. Like they known him his whole life. Like he's like the poster child for this church. Okay. I'll give you the list. You want the list? Here's what we do. We lead Saturday night welcome group. We lead a marriage group. We minister on Wednesday nights where we are prayer counselors, prayer altar counselors. And we go to church outside of all of those times serving. Uh, Dee is part of the Alpha group. And I don't think there's anything else you can get involved in. That's what's involved in the the men's ministry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Everywhere. We're everywhere. But we love, love it. it. It's fun. But with, with all I mean, of that, to say all of that, it, it has to be a balance, though. <laughs> you know, you have to balance because you can spend. I'm learning, you know, that my first ministry is to my wife and my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it has to be a balance, even though we do all of that. It sounds like a lot. Sometimes we still debate or, or talk if this is too much, but they don't happen all at the same time. But it can sound like a lot. But you know, it's fun. It's just fun to be there, though. It's fun, like, mm-hmm. to leave from work and go to church and be around people and to laugh, smile, and, you know, be sad together sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just, it's a safe place. We talk about a safe place, like a safe place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. As it should be, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're here today to talk about your relationship. You know, the things that everyone loves to sit and talk about on a public display. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> but um, take me back to the beginning. I mean, from how you guys met, you know, what was your relationship like when you first started dating? 
And what was your relationship like with God too, individually and even together? So just walk me through your story basically mm-hmm. is, is what I'm starting at here. I, I think I should start just because we met, like I said, 13 years ago, we met um, um, at Ridgedale Mall in Minnesota. Um, but we, we met at a, it, it was a part-time job. I forget, no, I forget. Maybe Clear. Yeah, we were selling internet or something. I never sold anything. Yeah, but we <laughs> met there. But prior to that, I had, you know, to give just a little bit of the backstory, um, <clears throat> I was recently coming out of a, a relationship with a living girlfriend at the time that was super toxic. And prior to that, four-year relationship. I had been married for seven years and going through a separation slash divorce. And then I'm in this four-year relationship with a living girlfriend. And then when that went to bed, um, I met Sarah after that relationship was over. I met her, um, at a, you know, which would have been, it was supposed to be a part-time job for me, but I met this little bubbly young lady. And I think I was, you know, not I think, I know now looking back in hindsight, um, I was just looking for like the, the next thing, the next girlfriend pretty much. And I was looking for someone to be with because I didn't know at that time how to be by myself. Mm-hmm. So I was super codependent. And so that's, that's how we met. We met on my birthday. We met on October the 1st, mm-hmm. we met on my birthday. That's how we know our anniversary <laughs> <Yeah>. meeting. <laughs> So yeah, that's when that's when we met. And from that point, we just, you know, we started talking and exchanged phone numbers and kind of, you know, talking back and forth on the phone. You want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, our stories were so similar because I was still kind of with a guy I had been with for years. And again, toxic relationship, a, a man that really wasn't a man. He was still a boy. He was involved in things that was childish and sometimes illegal and it just wasn't worth you know the relationship um and so we both kind of met when we're both looking for something to almost get something out of it um you know we always joke that you know in the beginning it was really not about building a relationship it was about Mm -hmm. having fun yeah and um for us you know you had kind of talked about like what was our relationship with God? And it's so funny. We always have this story and we love to bring it up and laugh about it. But like we would go and drink alcohol and sit in the car and compare who knew what Christian song, but neither of us had a relationship with God at that point. Like we were both so far removed from our relationships that we had had previously with God Mm -hmm. that it was almost like a joke. But now that we look at that, we're like, Okay, so it was still in us. Like you, we we would sing to the songs. Yeah. We knew all the words still. We would compare who knows what song, and then we would bang the music. Like we would have it cranked up in the car, and we're out there intoxicated, <laughs> just like listening to Christian music. Like yeah. I don't know what other couple can do that in the beginning, but that was us. So we kind of we use that. I use that to say that's our connection. Yeah. You know, like this has to be great. This has to be a connection because ah, you like Christian music. I like Christian music. You know this song. Yeah. And it was, yeah, that was like, I held on to the, like, this is right. Yeah. But, 
but it was definitely toxic. Like when you talk about like how the relationship was, like we were both very codependent. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at each other as you need to fulfill what I was missing, what that hole was in our Mm -hmm. heart. And so for him, he needed that desire to have somebody to be with him. Right. His, his love language is affirmation, but also, um, quality time. And so for him, it was like, I need somebody to fill my quality time. Like I need somebody to mm-hmm. fill that up. Cause he wasn't getting it. Yeah. And for me, it was like, mine was physical touch and quality time. So we kind of hung on to that where we hung out with each other constantly, but at that stage in our life, we weren't doing the right stuff. Um, you know, we definitely weren't living for the Lord at that point. Mm-hmm. And so the first many years of our relationship, it was very toxic back and forth. It was just for me, a bunch of drinking to numb a lot of the pain from my previous um, <clears throat> marriage, which I had never dealt with, never healed from that, never dealt with the fact that there was a potential that I may not be able to consistently see my daughter. So I was masking all of that with alcohol. And so literally, um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but literally I, when we met, I was probably intoxicated and I had realized that when I stopped drinking, that she had never been with me sober. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, an epiphany, like, wow, she has never been with Delmas with no alcohol. And that, you know, that was kind of scary because you spend like seven years with someone and then now you're like, you know, wow, you know, who does she think I'm re- I really am? Cause I didn't know who I was, you know? Mm. So yeah, we spent the first years masking all of the codependency, all of the hurt, the pain, um, mm. not knowing how to deal with it. Not me, not me personally, not wanting to deal with it, avoiding anybody that said they were a Christian because I had left, I just ended up leaving a church when I went through a separation. And so I didn't know how to deal with that. So I just left. I didn't want to deal with Christians. I didn't want to nobody to talk about God because then I would begin to feel guilty. Like I know that I should like rededicate my life or go to church, do something. I just didn't know what, but so because I didn't know what to do, I didn't want to deal with it at all. And, mm. you know, with, with drinking, it just, it starts off like social fun. And I knew in my head that I'm only going to do this for like a year. I would literally have conversations in my head. Like I'm going to do this for one year or two years. And then I'm going to get my life back together. Right. During this time, I'm going to be partying and hanging out. I'm going to be strategically figuring out how my life is going to be better in the next seven years. Mm -hmm. But then Mm -hmm. for me, the drinking just gradually got worse, worse, more and more. And it's that cliche saying you hear it would keep you longer than you want to stay you know Mm. um yeah 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 well well let's dive into that a little bit because you know you guys are it's fun you're dating and then things get more serious you know it's you've been together for a long time and let's just dive into that season where it's funny i i recall this conversation that i had with sarah so long ago i think it was Mm -hmm. at like one of your first apartments or something and she said to me that well, you know, you're starting school and your degree, you're like, well, I want to go out and like 
study and pursue this. And D wants to go out and drink. And it's weird because I'm the young one in the relationship. So it should be <laughs> reversed. <laughs> yep. And, and I just, I remember that conversation so clearly and I don't know why, but I, you know, so talk to me about the season you're in where you're like, okay, we're not just like dating fun. Like let's actually get our life together a little bit. And maybe Sarah, you can share a little bit of that pull you started to feel where you're like, I'm trying to mature. I'm trying to grow. I want to be serious with you as a partner in life. And you're starting to notice things and feeling, you know, just like, what's going on here. So kind of walk me through that. Sure. So I would say like, mm, year three at this point in our relationship, we had already had our own apartment for like two years. We moved in almost a year after meeting each other. We moved in with each other or living with each other. You know, it was a lot of this, like we were almost, having we were having fun but it was like playing house and we had a dog at the time and so it was this whole like we're playing house and it was fun right and it was fun for a while for me but I think like you said you know just now I got to the point where I was like it's not fun anymore right the relationship between us got even more toxic than how it had started where it was I was starting to build up resentment I was starting to be not necessarily scared, but I was very cautious around him with what I would say, what I would do, who we would hang out with. I would purposely be like, nope, we don't need to hang out with so-and-so. But after a couple of years of that, it got to a point where I was like, okay, something dramatic has to change. I had already started telling him like, you, you've got to stop drinking. Like, I feel like this is the ultimate problem. I feel like our relationship will be better. You know, everything will be better if you stop drinking. I kept putting it all on him, you know, and to to speak to myself, I guess, in that moment, it was a lot more than just him. It was me. And I had so many issues with my self-esteem. So I felt like I couldn't, you know, I would never find anyone as good as him. Right. I had issues with my own identity of just like who I was. I, I was just a girl that I was covering up this, what I thought was an amazing relationship. Everyone thought it was an amazing relationship. So I had to keep putting on this persona, put on this mask of I'm super happy and then go home and bawl my eyes out because of my relationship was so fake to everyone else. You know, interject too. And a lot of that is what you mentioned earlier. She was walking on eggshells or whatever. I would blow up. Like there would be times that I'm happy. And I'll just say it. Um, if it gets edited, that's okay. But I was like the happy drunk, get happy. Everything is great, but it could be any little thing that would set me off because I was harboring, I was harboring so much anger and frustration with past stuff. And so I would take out a lot of stuff that was, that I was angry about with my ex-wife, take it out on her. Then I would look at certain things that she did. Like I was very nitpicky at certain things. And so she had to walk on eggshells because I would, everything is great. She could say just one little thing that takes me back in the past. And then I would explode. And then it's that type of argument that if anyone got in between us and stopped, stopped us and said, Hey, what's going on? What started this? Neither one of us could remember. It could be the smallest thing. You can't even remember what you're talking about. But all I knew is at that point, 
when we did, there was times where we did stop. It was like, what are we talking about? And I legitimately could not remember. And, but I know this is my pride. I had to stay mad and mm. act like I did remember, but I could not, I used to go in a room and could not remember what ticked me off. And so I just wanted to interject that because that, there was a lot of, while you were working, walking on eggshells and, and Sarah love, you know, don't let her play like she didn't like the party. I think what happened is when I look back, she saw how bad I was and how worse I was becoming. And I couldn't see it at the time. It caused her to pour back big time. Mm-hmm. You know, like in, in the past, I've been in situations where if I've seen people drink more than me and they look like they, they need help, I would stop to help that person. And I think that was Sarah. Like this guy needs help. And if I'm drunk and he's drunk, it's not going to end well. You know, and I remember one time we had an argument over who was going to get the DWI that night. Remember, we were yeah. like sitting there arguing, like, who's going to drive? Who's more messed up? And you're talking about that's the insanity of it. But at the end of the day, it was all masking a bunch of junk. Um, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but, you know, drinking is is just a symptom of a much mm-hmm. deeper issue. And yeah. we didn't know how to deal with it. And I personally did not want to even touch it. And I just literally felt like, you know, at that time when you're buzzed, you're just going to live like this every day mm-hmm. without direction and hope I don't run into any Christians. <laughs> so you're feeling this tension. You're at this point where you're like, okay, this, you know, there's this underlining thing. We realize there's these issues, but we're not willing to do about willing to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So then we did. what happened? You know, then we had a baby. Because <laughs> that fixes everything, right? It fixes everything. <laughs> fixes everything. You, bought it. you have issues out there, have a baby. It fixes no. everything. Don't do that. <laughs> Bad advice. Bad advice. Do not do that. No, actually, you know, 2015, we bought our first house. Mm-hmm. Um, we found out we were pregnant. Um, we unfortunately lost one baby and I, at that point, like D started to connect with me, I think in the loss of our first baby. And it was like, oh, he's loving me. Let's get pregnant. So then I was like, okay, let's purposely try to have a baby. So at that point we did, we, we got pregnant again. Um, sorry, I want to interject again, but we thought that that would bring us together. Right. That's what I'm saying. We thought it would bring us happiness. And I was like, he, you know, somebody to love me unconditionally will be my child. And it was like, oh, and if that child is there and that child loves me, then D will love me more because Mm -hmm. I brought him a child into this world. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of our, again, it was very toxic. It was just this constant self-talk that was just so degrading in a way now that we look at it Mm -hmm. that it's like wow we couldn't even just say hey there's a problem it was just we kept piling on Mm -hmm. all the stuff in hopes that something would fix it instead we were were super mean to each other like if anybody outside looked you know we were very very mean to each other we would yell and call each other's name curse each other out she would cry i would get upset that she's crying that would make it worse. And I'm like, you suck. You know what I mean? I don't even like you. Don't know if we should be together. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. It was really bad. So if anybody saw that, the first thing any 
professional probably counselor would say is that you two do not belong together. You need to go your separate ways. And at that exact moment in time, they probably would be right. Um, but it was super bad. And I thought if we had a child, that that would keep her in my life. Because part of me was like, I don't really know if I like her, let alone love her, right? But I, I'm too fearful to be alone and to kind of start this whole thing. Two failed relationships prior, it does something to your pride. You're like, I can't let a third relationship because then I would have to look at myself and say, is there an issue with me being a common denominator? Mm. <laughs> you shaking your head like Johnny. <laughs> but I only say that now. But I think, and so living all the way up to 2015, like that, getting pregnant, getting a house, it's like you're doing this stuff. Like Sarah said, we're masking stuff and it keeps piling on. We shouldn't have done. I, I don't think. I think our intentions were just wrong. Yeah, our intentions were doing the things were wrong. Yeah. You know, thinking it was going to well, keep us together. Yeah. And I think two thoughts here. I think at that point too, being an outsider perspective, it was once Jackson was born, because you were right, us on the outside, we had no idea what was going on. Like it was, you guys came to family events. We hang out super fun. He's so great. He's so charismatic, you know, all these fun things. Like he's so funny, all these things. But it was when Jackson was born where it was like, okay, something's off. And I think maybe I just knew because I lived with your mom, Sarah, it was right out of college. And um, I ended up moving in with your mom. And so it was like, oh, Sarah and Jackson are spending the night tonight for some reason. You know, it was starting to see that something wasn't right. She wasn't wanting to be home. She needed help. Why wasn't D helping? You know, you started to ask questions. But um, to your point of we probably, you know, maybe at that point we shouldn't have been together, all of these things. Why did you stay? You know, was there something inside of you that maybe was God saying, no, I have greater plans for this relationship than you even know? Because I do think at some point when you're in a toxic relationship, obviously you're not supposed to be together and you're supposed to leave, right? Um, you guys weren't married at this point. It's like, okay, you know, there's a lot of people where I would advise get out. This isn't safe. This isn't good. But what was it that made you guys say, actually, but we're in this? It's a really good question. Yeah. Because I don't think in the moment, living in that moment, that we would have known that God had bigger plans for our marriage and for us as a couple. I think in the moment it was just this, it would make me sick thinking about leaving him, but it also sometimes made me sick to be like, okay, now I'm going to go to bed and he's going to be laying next to me. Like it was almost like I tried to take the lesser of the worst <laughs> just to make it sound horrible. Like to me, it felt super inconvenient. I had this amazing relationship with his daughter. We now had this kid. Like I did not want to be that person that just was a baby mama on the side. Mm -hmm. And I was in my heart. I knew that if he had gotten sober, everything would be better. And so I think I just kept thinking to myself, okay, if I stick around long enough, if I hold on a little bit longer, you know, then everything will get better. And so I think there was this hidden hope mm -hmm. inside of me that I didn't realize what it was. But I think after Jackson was born, was when I started to search out more 
of what God would do for me. Right. I kept doing this, like, you know, God, if you would just bring him back to me, you know, sober and the way he should be the way you made him, then I know everything will be better. And I kept making it all about him. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about healing us both. It was always this like, all right, you know, I, I, I remember distinctly like crying Jackson to sleep. I would be crying. He would be asleep and just saying like, if, if he would just come home, God, I will come back to you if he would just come home. Right. Cause like you said, there were times when I wouldn't hear from him or he wouldn't, he'd be like, I'm staying out. And, you know, I had a little guy at the time and it was super hard for me. And then I had surgery. And so then it was just like, even harder. So I've constantly was just like, I don't want to be at home because when he's at home, it's not, it's not a fun relationship anymore. And so I think because of that, it was like me just starting to grasp anything that I felt like would feel better than what I was feeling. Are you a single mom or know someone who is? As single parenting has a lot of unique challenges, we want to invite you to join us for the 2024 Single Moms Retreat, an overnight getaway to relax, be refreshed, and have fun. You'll be inspired by incredible speakers and powerful times of worship and connect with other women who understand your story. Enjoy lots of free giveaways and activities such as the Diva Boutique, a spa, car care, professional haircuts and headshot photos, gifts, and more. The Single Moms Retreat is May 31st to June 1st at Lake Geneva Christian Center in Alexandria, Minnesota. This event is made possible by the generosity of individuals, churches, businesses, and volunteers. Would you consider supporting or serving with us? Register to attend, volunteer, exhibit, or donate by going to mnbtg.org retreat. That's mnbtg.org retreat. We'll see you there. I think some of that too is that she's feeling that way. I'm thinking, how can I make my life better so that I could, you know, potentially be in a position to split if it doesn't work. But then with Jackson in the the picture and the relationship with Gigi, it kind of complicated things more because then I would have to explain to Gigi why Sigurd's not there. And then I had already told her that I don't want no, no one else raising Jackson. So in my head, it kind of bound us together, right? Mm. But again, <laughs> this is the insanity part. It's like it bound us together, but I still didn't know. Or I should say this. I didn't see it working. I still didn't see it working because at that point, I had, I didn't like myself anymore. And this is hindsight. Because at the time, you don't understand that you don't like yourself. But I didn't like myself anymore. I was mad at myself for walking from walking away from the church, from not allowing God to remain Lord of my life. So I was super upset at myself and angry at a lot of past decisions. I had had this wonderful 10-year plan that by this certain time frame, I would be in a different place in life. That was super frustrating. And so, but she's getting the brunt of this. You know, they say the people that's closest to you, they get the brunt of that. And so she got the brunt of all of that. And on top of all of that, you have these, you have all of these issues, internal issues. And the drinking for me is just getting super heavy to the point where it's not only on the weekend, it's throughout the week now. I can't wait to get off work. I can't wait 
it got so bad towards the end of my drinking career, it started to happen at work. So, and then she started finding bottles in the car, little shot bottles. And then it just got to a point where I had to tell myself, um, well, actually I lied to myself and said that I was in control of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just literally continued to get worse and worse. And one day it was really bad. And um, I, I should say I had a, a couple of DUIs, you know, prior to Jackson, right? And you would think sometimes that that would be enough to kind of shift you. You know what I mean? I had so many close encounters where, you know, I they probably should have kept me. But this, I remember saying to her, um, like towards the end, when stuff really shifted for me, and which led to us as a couple being shifted, is that I looked at her. She found some bottles somewhere in the house. And I just broke down and cried. It was like, I can't do it. And I never forget that feeling. I said, I can't. I said, I want to stop. And I just can't. That was the first time that I had admitted to myself that I have an issue. And I remember that night, that night, it was, I was up at like two or three in the morning talking to my mother. And she was kind of upset because I used to frequently call her two and three in the morning drunk. (laughs) She worked overnight. So she was up. So she was constantly like, But she was upset and she asked me one day, she said, have you ever asked God to take the taste away from you? And I got upset Mm -hmm. and I said, I haven't. She said, why? She was yelling at me. She said, why? And I said, because if I ask him, he's going to take it away. I knew enough that he would, but I didn't want it to go away because then I would have to deal with all of the feelings, all of the hurt, the rejection, the pain that I've been masking for so many years. And um, when that hit me, I was like, wow, that's why, like, I know enough that he would probably take this away, right? And um, that that just hit me. So when I look back, I was on this journey starting to end the career in drinking, but I didn't know it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up getting a DWI. I got a DWI, and that was the turning point. I got arrested one night, driving down the street the wrong way on 169, some good Samaritan followed me. I could have injured myself, could have hit someone head on. They followed me. I got arrested and um, <clears throat> pretty messed up. But that morning I woke up, I knew the relationship would be over. Any Anything that we have, I knew it would be over. Because I knew, number one, I woke up sober saying that she didn't deserve it. She had every right to leave. I was thinking about, I'm going to skip state now because I can't face her dad, her mom, my mom can't face anybody. And I said, as soon as I get out, post bail, or however I get out of this thing, I'm going to hop state. At that point, I was desperate enough to do it in spite of Gigi, in spite of Jackson. And I said, I will figure that out later. Maybe I'll skip state, get my life together, then come back, deal with that. And um, <clears throat> when I was in that jail cell, you when you have when the spirit of God speaks to you, you can have a very strong impression impression where you know that something has happened. I went from being stressed out, thinking about how am I going to do this, how am I going to get to the next state because I'm not going to have anything now, to having this impression that the Holy Spirit is saying that 
you have two decisions to make. You either go and run or you stay here and you face everything. And with me, you will be okay. And I, mm. I tell this story to people. There was an instantaneous peace. Mm. Like something triggered inside of me that said that it just made me feel at peace. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it. If she decides to leave, she deserves to leave and to have something better because I've messed this up for the last seven years. And like, for me, that was the turning point. Like it just, it shifted. Like that was the last day that I drank August um, 16th, 2017. The last time I took a sip of any alcohol, um, I wanted a relationship. I'm telling you, Mikhelta, it shifted so bad. Like I fell in love with her all over again. Like I saw her in a whole different light. Um, I got out, wanted to go back to church. Uh, like nothing phased me, like the shame, nothing phased me. I was so desperate at that point. And I knew that if I didn't, that I could potentially not be here. And, and my thought was what the crap just happened. <laughs> For because, real though, Sarah, share your perspective on this. Cause you, you see one thing. And, um, I remember I got married in September of that year. And I remember you looking at yeah. me and saying, I don't know if D's going to make it to your wedding because he might be in jail. I mean, like <laughs> it was so serious. So you're at this point and now you're seeing this man who's like, we're going to church. This is my revelations. I'm owning things. Like, what are you thinking here? Well, like the, literally the first thing was what the crap just happened because I think there were so many things that all happened at once. And when we look back, there was so much favor of God in it that it was, it was amazing. Somehow D did not hurt himself or another person while he was driving. Somehow we found this amazing lawyer that got D an amazing deal where he could not have to spend a ton of time in jail. He was able to go to a workhouse. I was two months outside of having a felony when it happened. Mm. So yeah. everything had God's hand all over it. And we didn't know it at that point. Right. I mean, maybe a year previous to that D kind of had that revelation, like we need to go to church. So we would go to church and he would be drunk in church. We'd be sitting there and everyone, I swore if anyone sat too close, they would get drunk off of his smell but like we, we knew what we wanted to do, but it was, it was just, I, I can't even describe how amazing it was. And it was just one thing after another that was in our favor. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I don't know if I can trust him. That was my first problem. My first problem was, okay, I was not used to trusting him. I wasn't used to le leaving him in the home by himself, let alone with our child. I had never done that since Jackson had been born. And so it was just like, okay, I don't know who this man really is anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And I had got to walk on eggshells still because I don't know if there's going to be a trigger that I'm going to do or say that's going to make him drink again, you know? And so I think for me, it was very much like a quiet phase for me because I was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing because right now everything that he's saying sounds amazing, right? He's not going to drink anymore. He's going to be this different person. And it took everything 
in me to just be like, you have to trust him again at some point. And so, you know, when he got that DWI that night, I don't even, it's so weird. Like in my body, all I kept thinking was, is okay, this is my time to go. This is my time. I can separate. I, I, this can be my break. This is, it's a perfect reason why, right. It's not my fault kind of a thing. And I, I remember going back to sleep and waking up thinking, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. Like just, just stick it out. Right. Mm. I have no idea who this new Delmas is going to be, you know, and he kind of said over the phone with me, it's either Jesus or I'm going to die. And so it was like, for me to hear that, I felt like, okay, this, this is going to be it. He's going to, he's going to stop. Um, but I think I had always had that hope, you know, like I had said before, that something would be the trigger. Something would be the trigger to get him to stop. Yeah. Yeah, We went to church like a whole year and something, you know, I used Mm -hmm. to sit in my same spot, kind of like loopy or whatever. Listen to the message, right? So maybe enough word got into me. <laughs> but, that's a really good point, D. Though yeah. that just came to mind of like I think so many people feel so much shame and embarrassment and fear to walk into church at their worst. And mm. I don't know where this mindset came in that we need to be these perfect people going into church. Like I just mm. I don't get it. But yeah. it's if you know you're sitting there in church and you're drunk in church, but guess what? You're still in church you are in church. Like you, you made it to church that day. Now I'm not saying let's all get drunk at church. It's fine. But I'm saying (laughs) that it's, it's, you still made that step to get there, even at your worst, because you were so internally hungry for something more and Mm -hmm. for that fulfillment. And I think it's just such a powerful testimony of how, even when we aren't pursuing God actively, he's pursuing he's us. Pursuing us. And Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. was you are never too far gone to be unseen, you know, and, and for God to see you. So um, I just think that's so powerful, but I do want to talk a little bit about church for you at that moment of, because church has obviously been such a powerful thing for you mm-hmm. guys and community yeah. and you know, Sarah, what did your relationship with God start to look like at that time? You know, were you afraid to go to church because of just like shame or uh, when people slowly started to find out, cause do you've been super active in telling your story to help others? Like, did that cause you to want to pull back from the community at all? Or were you guys just so like, yes, these are our people. They're accepting. Amen. <laughs> I think his first year of sobriety, we were still trying to even figure out life with him being sober. And it was like, you know, we would go to church, but we didn't really make any connections at that point. It was very slow moving. It was like, just get to church. And, you know, there was a lot of hoops and stuff we had to go through with him just to get his license back so he could drive all the things. Right. And so I think there was this transition period where I was kind of like, okay, I don't know too much about how much I want to get back into the church. Right. Cause I had felt really hurt from the church when I was a teenager. So there was a lot of issues with me just trying to even get back into church because I had felt hurt. You know, I was offended, you know, back when I was a teenager and I had held on to that for so long. And so for me, it was just like, okay, I'm going because this is making him happy. 
it's keeping him sober. So I'm just, whatever he's going to do, I'm going to do. And he, okay. I love using the analogy because this is definitely a line I use all the time, but like, imagine somebody at a beach and there's a couple and you have the husband that's like running down in through the sand and he is just running into the deep water. He's all in fully covered, just absolutely loving the water. And then the wife is there on the edge and she's got her toe in. She's like, I'm comfortable right here. That was me. And D was all in the deep water. So like he was all in, he's like church, everything. And you know, everything about Jesus and God. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to stay right here because you're happy and I'm with you, but I don't think I can go out there yet. I'm just not ready. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was a transition period for sure for me to just be like, okay, we're doing this. Like we're back at church. Yeah. I think it, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't mention prior to me getting that deep, that last DWI, we went to church and that was part of her reason too. She was just like, if it's going to stop you from drinking, right. I'm all in. Right. Mm -hmm. After I got the DWI came out, I'm like Jesus or death. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we went the church where we're at now. We went there. Sarah didn't really want to go there. She didn't say that part. She was just like, no, but I think we weren't sure if the relationship was going to continue. So I remember the first couple of weeks, she dropped me off and went to church with some of our other friends somewhere else, you know? And at that point it was okay. And I was at peace because I said, if she leaves, it is totally okay. And like I said earlier, at that point, I was, I was prepared if I had to be by myself and I never had, I didn't have the feelings that I had before. And so I think, you know, that's good to mention because even with church, I did a lot of counseling. Um, today, for some reason, there's a stigma behind counseling. Um, I did a lot of counseling. I was fortunate to, to have a believer in Jesus that was my counselor. And it was awesome. It was great. He helped me work through a lot of things. He helped me understand some things about myself. I went through intense um, outpatient treatment. I was gone three day, three nights a week in treatment. And all of those times I was coming home amped up. I mean, I was so excited. Be like, I am finding myself and I am learning who I am. And I got God on my side. I can't lose in life. And I'm coming home like, Sarah, guess what I learned tonight? You know? And there was one part that was challenging. When people say, I started learning that oftentimes when husband or wife, couples, whatever, if one person stops drinking and that's been like a pattern in a relationship, when one stops, it oftentimes can lead to divorce because one or the other had to live with this person and they kind of got themselves in a role where they have to take care of this person. That was me. Sarah was taking care of me. She was hiding our relationship. She was making sure Gigi wasn't privy to a lot of things, right? Once I became sober, it was like, I'm taking care of myself. I have a, a clear direction right now. And at first I felt like we got into more arguments after I was sober than before. And that blew my mind. The reason why is because before he would get mad and then he'd leave and go get drunk. Mm. Now he was forced to be around him. Because <laughs> I drove him everywhere for like a year and a half. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Me. 
you have no license. You can't leave. We got to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I think I, I had that, that under, I, I thought that, Hey, once I drop, you know, once I start drinking, it's going to make everything nice. Everything's going to be better. And everything's going to be at peace. We had to learn. And like I said, way earlier in the conversation, she had never been with Delma sober. So once that was a reality, mm-hmm. I was just like, you really don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to learn how to be married. And so church played a huge, huge part because that was part of our, that was part of my healing process. As I was going to AA groups, I was going to my counseling sessions. I was at church. I was, you know, at my intense outpatient treatment as well. And so just hearing the teachings, being able to read the word for myself, that was healing for me. And then us as a couple, um, it was healing for our marriage because we didn't know how to be married. Even though we had, mm. you know, six months later after I got the DWI, we committed to getting married and she accepted my proposal. I should say that. <laughs> yes. But we it got was a married. stipulation because yeah. we had talked about getting married. You know, even in the yuck of our relationship, we talked about getting married because in my eyes, I'm like, you get a house, you have a baby, you're married, but not in that order. Right. So I was like, <laughs> we need to get married. <laughs> so you need to get sober because that was my stipulation. Yeah. And so, yeah, six months later, we got engaged and then we got married in June of 2018. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had to learn how to be married. We had to relearn everything yeah. about each other's quirks and yeah. the things that made each other operate mm-hmm. and tick. And Counseling helped me to open up and talk about my feelings and to be super vulnerable with her. And at that point, it was so easy for me because I had committed that if I didn't go this route, that I was fearful that something would happen to me. And so I like had nothing to lose. So it taught me how to let her know what I'm feeling, what's what I'm going through, why I'm responding the way I am. And, you know, we kind of had this exchange. I, I, I was still had some resentment towards her, even though it's like, this is my crap, but I wanted her to understand more of what I was experiencing, what I was going through. Um, and I started feeling guilty and shame, like everything was my fault. And we would get in arguments about that. I'm like, it's not always my fault. You got a part to play too, you know? And then your counselors will say, stay on your side of the street. And I'm like, I don't want to because I want to go over there and let her know it takes two to tangle, right? <laughs> so, but that was a lot we had to understand and work through, you know, to learn how to communicate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. With that too, as we're kind of wrapping up our time together here, I feel like there's just like one word that comes to mind and both of you, and this might be just, I don't want to speak for you, but I think both of you might've experienced it differently and that's surrender Mm -hmm. and what it really looks like to surrender at all. And D for you, I, I just, and I'd love for you both to share on this, but I felt like it was surrendering your life in a different way than Sarah and I just had a conversation of surrender too. And she had shared with me her story of it, of it's surrendering trust. It's surrendering. If I'm in this, I have to trust this man who hurt me. You're surrendering Mm -hmm. hurt. You're surrendering healing. You're surrendering faith and, and dedication. So I just would love for you both just to share your personal experiences with that word surrender. Well, for me, um, Surrender is powerful, man. And and what I surrendered my life. I, I surrendered my life to Christ 
and the, the practical side of that was that I had decided that I had done such a bad job managing my life. And I'm going to say that in quotations, my life, my life. When I learned that my life was redeemed, it was bought with the price. It was bought with what Christ did on the cross. Mm -hmm. And when I learned that I have the opportunity to allow Jesus to be the Lord over my life. So I think it was a process for me to learn surrender. Even though it looked like I jumped in the deep end, I really didn't understand surrender. All I knew, I was desperate. Mm -hmm. And I was desperate enough to go to the Father and say, I need help. But when I really started, you know, it was, it was a lot of the studying in the Word and, and a lot of the people at church. And this is so important. And maybe today... I don't know. Bias is not the right word, but I'm, I'm very strong on building community at your local church. There's a place for the local church. There's a place for you. Corinthians, first uh, Corinthians chapter 12 talks about um, everybody having a place in the body of Christ. And so mm -hmm. I took that very important. And I said, I have to surrender to God ideas. I have to surrender to the scriptures if I hold them true, if I believe that it's the word of God and that it's truth, I have to surrender to these things. And it wasn't until then, it was like my life literally started to take a shift and a different turn. I started understanding more every day. And I'm not saying, I'm like literally every day, I started yeah, understanding yeah. more. So I surrender is, is, is super powerful. And that's what it looked like for me. I, I you know, got involved in groups at church because I needed people that could be around me, that could pray for me, that can help me, that can see things that I couldn't. And I told people verbally, you have permission to speak in my life if I start acting weird, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there were some other things that I said, but like I told her, if I act crazy, here's numbers you can call and say, call him or come get him. I gave her permission. I gave people around me permission. That was surrendering to God, to his people, that's that's in place to help me. And uh, that's what surrender looks like for me, giving it your all, knowing that you are not capable of managing your own life. Because if so, if we say we are, there would be no need for Christ on the cross because he wouldn't have yeah. had to say Jesus to die if we were capable of managing our own lives. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> I should have went first. That was good. <laughs> that was really good. Um, I think for me, like you said, surrendering for me was definitely the trust. It was knowing that in the moment when, you know, I had finally rededicated my life and, you know, we really started to, like D said, really get connected with people. It was, it was almost like surrendering over anything. I felt like I had to control. Mm, that's good. I have yeah. felt like I had to control our relationship, what people saw it as I had to control mm. the, the view that people had on us, you know? And so I felt like I didn't have to do that anymore because he was turning into this amazing man of God, just on fire for God. And I was like, Yep. My, my lights lit a little bit. It's, it's getting there. The flame is it's coming, but it was, you know, it was, it was a lot harder for me to release that, yeah. that control. And so I think it was, you know, 2019, I got rebaptized. I rededicated my life. Everything just got so surreal. And it was just like, 
all right, if, if this is going to go to crap, then at least we gave it our all to God. And we said, you do with it as you want. And I think that's why we love to share our story because it is a testimony to how amazing God was, even though we didn't know he was there, we didn't know he was chasing after us. It's so much is the, you know, the one out of the 99. I mean, we were two of the 99 and one because, you know, we're too lost at that point. We were the two that were just roaming around probably with each other, poking each other. We're the sheep that were over there poking each other and shoving each other off the cliffs. And we were throwing rocks at each other. Like we were doing all of the things that naughty sheep would probably do. And God was probably up there like, you two idiots, I'm trying to help you. So it's just, you know, it was so much of the just letting go of the control that I felt like I needed to be happy. And I could just be sincerely happy and start to grow relationships in a healthy way. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So good. I, I just feel like we have to end on that. I mean, that was just such a beautiful encouragement and reminder, honestly, for people that just, there's so much that God is doing that's out of our control. And yeah. what does it mean to just surrender it all to him uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, every piece of it. So mm-hmm. I just want to thank you guys again for joining me. Um, it's just, it's always a treat for me to get to hear your guys' story. And I just know and pray that it's going to bless so many others. So thank you both. So, so no, much thank for, you for giving me. us the opportunity. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yeah, it, it's fun. And and I know you just ended it kind of. That was a soft close. We're gonna do a hard close. <laughs> I just want to say, like, you know, when you are in trouble in life and you think, you know, that God isn't there. And I was thinking, like, if God isn't there, I had to remind myself that cliche scripture here, he never leaves us nor forsake us, right? Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you a comforter. He's a comforter. He's going to guide you. And it says he's going to give. And then Jesus said, I'm leaving you with my peace. One of the definitions for the word peace is security, safety. And it's like, I had to keep reminding myself, even when things got tough, like he's my safety, he's my security. And I think even today you have to keep, you know, we keep telling ourselves that keep each other encouraged and, Mm -hmm. and with God, man, that is, there's no limit, you know, there's no limit. Like we, in, in, in society eyes, we shouldn't be sitting here together. You know, statistically, I should say that. Yeah. And here we are. Well, thank you for having us. We really appreciate the time. Sorry, it went a little longer, I'm sure, but. You're good. You have so much to say. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It is an honor to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridging the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Delmas and Sarah Gibson on A Relationship Restored. You can learn more about Bridging the Gap at MNBTG by downloading the Bridging the Gap app through your app store or by following MNBTG on social media. We also invite you to take a moment to rate and review this podcast to help others find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridging the Gap podcast.